you know, we don't find anything too crazy. You might find an old septic tank that they didn't know was there and you have to Ooh. abandon it. Uh, or, you know, dig it up and haul it off. I saw Joe Dirt. It's exciting. I wouldn't say anything crazy. <laughs> Joe Dirt. <laughs> I bet a Joe Dirt reference wasn't on your bingo card for this. <laughs> Good movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, nothing too crazy. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the CM Mentors Podcast. My name is Matt Graves, and I co-host each week's Kyle Grandel. I screw that up every week, Kyle. How are you? Well, you do screw it up, and I look forward to it, honestly, Matt. So thanks for doing it again. I'm doing it's, well. I'm doing great, man. It's a weekly thing. I think people, they at least listen to the first 15, 30 seconds to see what part of the intro I'm going to screw up each week. So it's usually the same part. Well, the fun part is it's kind of like the meme thing that I do. It's like every week you get to screw up the intro, and then I get to do the meme thing. So I guess, you know, the guests actually should start doing part of it, too. They can do something funny towards the end, maybe. We'll add that in. We'll have to make them do something at the very, very end so people listen for the full, you know, full hour. Something edgy, something to get them in trouble. That's what I'm thinking. That's what, yeah, that's what I'm, I think, too. Cool. I have, we have an hour. I'll figure something out and put Jack on the spot. Hey, what's up, Jack? How are you? Oh, hey. Good, oh, man. Jack's here. <laughs> Hey guys! Yeah, no. Hey, good to be here. Just man. having fun listening to the banter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this week's uh, guest is Jack Rowe. Uh, welcome, Jack. You want to give us a little bit of background on yourself for people who don't know who you? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm I'm here as representing kind of the land development profession. Um, I'm a huge evangelist, or try to be. Uh, you know, so I've been in this industry. First got exposed about a decade ago. Um, tried my hand at a few things, and then found out that I really liked it. Uh, so I went to kind of grad school. You know, I think Matt, you're an Aggie too. I so went to Texas A&M. They have kind of a rare, probably a one of a kind program that really uh, touches on community, like residential land development a lot. And it was a great pipeline into the industry. And uh, was that through the architecture school or through like civil engineering or? It's in the college of art. Well, now school of architecture. Yeah. I got you. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I'm here to, you know, partially uh, kind of just to preach on that, you know, cause I was in that, I did the architecture program, uh, environmental design. And I was in there for four years before I even heard of that other program. So, you know, best kept secret at A&M. Um, and you know, I just love my job. It's, it's been such a fun career. It's very challenging, dynamic. There's no boring days. Um, probably all constructions like that, but, uh, I've just had so much fun with it and, you know, I hear my friends whining about their jobs and I'm like, man, I don't know what to tell you. I, I love what I do and you know, it's a lot of fun. So happy to talk about it. But yeah, I've, I've been in community development, uh, more on the operations and construction, kind of horizontal land development side for mm -hmm. about maybe seven to eight years combined now. And uh, I've loved it. I loved every minute of it. So what is, I mean, we say land development for people who don't know what that means, like <clears throat> Kyle. What is what does land development mean? <laughs> it's really me. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could say, in my mind, land development really speaks to you could say, in the home building space, to lot development, which is really horizontal construction. Um, and we, you know, we'll see what we talk about, right? But there's a lot of bureaucracy that you're jumping through hoops with cities, counties, uh, utility districts, in Texas. You know, uh, there's a lot of stakeholders that you are getting approvals from which it could be like a year to two year process uh, and then you're really turning dirt um, and we're doing heavy civil construction so you know the major things is dirt pipe paving right you've got your grading and excavation to get the drainage together 
and then you're putting in utilities, uh, mm-hmm. your wet utilities, your water pipe, uh, storm sewer and sanitary sewer. Uh, and then you pave the streets and then you put in the franchise utilities, you know, electric, gas, uh, fiber, internet, phone, and sometimes security, if depending on the type of community you're building. And then, uh, you, and then the city, you know, you go through the approval process, the city accepts it. They basically take ownership of the public improvements, which is the streets and every, you know, the right of way and everything within that. And then, uh, by recording that plat, you subdivide the property. Uh, and then that creates all the individual lots that then you sell, or if you're a home builder, I've worked within home building companies mainly. So it's internal trans transfer, right? But there's some developers who are just a developer and they sell their retail lot developer and they'll sell the lots to home builders. So to me, land development is that essentially horizontal construction. Uh, I've been doing more multifamily communities lately. Mm-hmm. And so we call it, now they call it site development because the permitting and uh, zoning designations are different, but I'm yeah. still effectively acting as, you know, not just developer and owner, owner's rep, but the GC for everything underground and the streets. And then you're screening walls and kind of just like your hardscape stuff. Right. Um, so this is y'all taking an empty farmland, an empty pasture, essentially taking it all the way up to Pretty the much. point where it's ready to build a house for lack of a better term. Exactly. Yeah. So it's taking, yeah, taking raw land, developing it to be constructible for buildings. Right. So you're putting in all this stuff that's all over our cities that nobody ever thinks about and doesn't know mm-hmm. they're like, but how does the water get to your house? Right. Who, who put the street in to drive up to your, to your driveway and things like that. Okay. So I got two questions for you, Jack. The first one, the first one I ask all the time, which is how did you get into land development? I mean, was it by accident? Was it by choice? Did you just kind of stumble upon it? What does that look like for you? So I'm from small town. Uh, I'm from Huntsville, Texas. You know, it's, it's most famous for having death row and uh, seven prisons. So <laughs> growing up, there was not uh, much development. I didn't even know development was a thing. Uh, you know, my parents were not in the industry. They're both like teachers. Uh, nobody in my family was. And so it should never cross my mind. And then when I went to school, I was, I entered into the architecture program and I, I spent uh, too many nights sleeping under my desk and having chronic black eyes from fatigue. And, you know, I was like, I don't want this forever. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm not going to pursue, you know, a master's of architecture. And, uh, but, and, but through that, I ended up having an internship in North Texas, uh, for a, like a boutique, uh, land developer. And that was just kind of my first exposure. And I was like, oh my God, you know, you're dealing with city, you know, staff, urban planners, city council, you're dealing with architects, engineers, attorneys, bankers. It was just such a complex job. It seemed very dynamic and exciting. And, uh, it kind of just piqued my interest. And then, like I said, I I tried my hand at a few other things, which didn't work out. And it kind of helped steer me to be like, okay, this is what I really like. And then um, I had a buddy um, who was in the program, the MLPD program at the time. And, you know, like, hey, you know, is this really a good thing? And he was like, oh, yeah, our professor, you know, he's a land developer. It's very pragmatic, practical curriculum. It's not like frou-frou theory stuff. and, you know, the job placement is very good. And so 
I, I kind of just applied, got accepted, and I ran with it and never looked back. So, very cool. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I would, I, as far as the complexity, I definitely agree. That's that's how I, you know, got into industrial manufacturing and why I've stuck with it. Uh, because you know, not only am I building a building, got to deal with the ground up stuff, but there's also the manufacturing side. You know, there's a, there's a plant right there. They're trying to make product. We can't interrupt that. You know, that's that, that's a big deal. And in fact, some of our work can only be done when the plant's down. So that adds more complexity too. You got to plan around that for the whole project. So long story short, I understand the complexity part of it too. Now, my second question, I'm, I'm just a dumb electrician, okay? So I have to ask, why- Well, are the smartest. Well, don't know. You, you know we're talking. Hey, His head's big enough. You can come on anytime you want, Jack. Um, I'm just blown Matt, Matt, we'll just replace you. Um, so second question is, why on earth do they call it? Why do they call it sanitary sewer? That one blows my mind. Well, you don't want to call it unsanitary sewer, but it it it, it is it does facilitate the movement of poop and pee, you know, and, and gray water. So that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I guess you know it, it sounds better than the alternative, I guess. But I just call it sewer. Most of us just call it sewer. But yeah, and you're looking at plants, sanitary sewer. Of course, there's special epoxy coatings and things. It's you know PVC pipe, and then the manholes have a certain coating too, you know to to prevent the caustic stuff that's flowing through it from eating away at the concrete. So, and then ultimately it goes to a sewer treatment plant where it becomes sanitized. And, uh, and what do they do with it from there? I don't need to know that. <laughs> don't want to know. The, <laughs> the, the circle of life. The sewer treatment plant guy does that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is a funny one. That's an overkill. I mean, I guess because you have, you got storm sewer, technically people don't think of it like, as a sewer, but you know, so I, I guess that's the differentiating term is sanitary versus storm. It was just, it was one of those things that when mm -hmm. I was like branching out from electrical and I started to look at drawings and started to follow mm -hmm. them and understand what the heck I was supposed to build the next week, I was like, wait a second, this is what? And it does what? Oh, you, you wouldn't want to swim in it. That's no, for sure. well, no, I, you know, Matt found that out the hard way is from what I understand. And, <laughs> I think I saw something about that. I worked for a plumbing company and it was, yeah, you learn things the hard way. Yeah, I would never be a service plumber. Hey, hey, I, I, I changed, know. I changed plenty of, uh, of sewage pumps and people that I didn't, did, for people that I didn't know as an electrician. So I had fun with that. It's to each their own, right? <laughs> yeah. You hear yeah. stories from the service guys and you're just like, yeah, you don't get paid enough. Like, I, I don't know how much you make, but I guarantee it's not enough. No, <laughs> the job's not. never going away, though. You know, no, it's no, that is job there. security forever. Um, yeah. So there's back on topic. There's a lot of steps in the land development stage, right? Like, what would you say is the hardest step along the way? I mean, because you got permitting, you got different engineering phases and design phases. You've got probably land acquisition. You've got all kinds of stuff. Like what? What maybe is like the surprisingly the hardest stage? It's hard to say. It's all challenging in its own way, right? I mean, I don't want to say that land act. There's a funny joke uh, in the community, you know, that the land acquisition guys get to have the sex, and then the development guys get to carry the baby. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so land acquisition, of course, it's not super easy. You know, you find you know sometimes realtors who maybe sell homes, they want to get into it. There's a lot of expertise that's required. Now y'all can still see, but a lot of expertise required to be a good broker or to, uh, you know, 
if you're like a real old school land guy, you're looking at maps and driving around town and calling people and knocking on doors of farmers and things, right? Um, depending on your food group, you know, if it's the more infill and urban it is, kind of the sexier real estate, you're dealing with brokers more. Uh, but it is very much a relationship oriented business and uh, not any, you can't just show up and, you know, in your first week and call any given broker or somebody and get a deal, right? It's, mm -hmm. there's some kind of paying your dues, it seems, you know, and, and being in the industry long enough for people to know who you are, have a reputation and uh, a lot of it is backward looking, right? Like, is this guy, you know, historically is when we tie up a land deal with him, is he going to close on it or is he just tying it up to keep it off the market? Right. So you, you build a reputation in that and that's a whole niche within land development, right. Is the acquisition guys. Um, you know, I've, I've been in the development side, but when you're around long enough and uh, you know, I still get stuff sent my way uh, just from being somebody in, in the market, right. That's, that's been here at least long enough to be known. So the development side, so an idea with acquisitions in my role is, you know, when you're entitling land, that's acquisitions, you know, I conduct due diligence, you know, physical due diligence on the constructability of the site, you know, how much topography is it? How much dirt do I have to bring in or haul off? Um, how much, you know, what are the unique fees of this city, right? There's just, there's so much to it. That's why I love it because it's, you know, you're never doing the same thing. And anytime you're doing the same uh, task, it's different because it's a different uh, person you're dealing with, a different land, uh, a different time, a different time of year. It's a very dynamic. Uh, so, yeah, there's an acquisition side, right? You spend, depend, I, I can only speak to kind of community development, depending on if you need to create a special district, which is normal in Texas, right? I could take a year or two, depending on the size of the deal, because that's a public finance mechanism that really facilitates development in more rural areas that mm -hmm. would otherwise not be pursued because maybe, you know, I've seen where we had to run seven miles of sanitary sewer to open up this area, this peninsula to be able to be developable, right? Well, that's a lot of money, right? And, you know, dozens of easements from individual properties, so time, effort, uh, and know-how you know, and then there's a mechanism to, to finance that, right? So that's it. And it's a whole other niche, right? Is the public financing and special districts, you know, uh, else are we even right you now? Your due diligence is, you know, you're looking at real estate metrics, what are the rents in the area? What are the home prices? What kind of home could I build here? Is the land price they're asking for? Does that, can I pay this much for the land plus the development costs to get to a land basis on my lot? To where the builder can build a home that's marketable here and make a profit right? so it's just there's so many things to consider it's, it's really fun and then development is construction right when, when i say development i'm thinking of the you know you got your plans approved for your civils and then you break ground uh, you start turning dirt and then it's just it's probably everything that happens in vertical construction and but we're heavily impacted by weather because we're playing in the dirt. You have a 30 foot, uh, if it rains, 
it's going to slow you down. So there's a lot of unknown variables, which is also kind of fun. And you're always seem to be putting out a fire because even in your physical due diligence, right? You're, you're doing your geotechnical testing to see what the soil um, composition is. You're looking at, uh, is there waters of the US there? Do I have to mitigate for that? Do I have to mitigate trees, things like that? Uh, you can only investigate so much before you buy it, right? So maybe How you're, much? you're doing 20, go ahead. I was gonna say, what kind of contingency do you carry? So when you get into it and you're only doing certain, when you, you know, until you really get in, you probably start uncovering a ton of unknowns. Uh, is there a percentage y'all typically carry for like a contingency of for unknowns? I've seen a range of five to 15% contingency. I think 10 is okay. kind of your, your, your most typical for a mm -hmm. land development budget. Right. And then I, you know, I don't even really know. I think a vertical budget might be like two or 3%. Because they can get more, you can count sticks and bricks. You can count linear feet of pipe, but you don't know what you're running into underground, right? You might hit a, a water table. You might right. hit a different soil type than you expected from your geotechnical report, which does happen, right? And, you know, so uh, a little more contingency. I've said before, like new construction is easy, right? Because it's all, there's nothing there, right? In your building, once you get out of the ground, you're kind of out of surprises. But when you're doing a renovation project, like, and you're opening up walls that have been opened up in 50, 60 years, like, you ain't no telling what you're going to find. Yeah, I've heard that's uh, your as built or surprises. Built. <laughs> oh, we, we run into that too, right? It's like you got your as built from the city and, you know, you've planned your infrastructure accordingly. And then you dig it up and then you find, like, oh, this is 15 feet over the north extent. And what they reported to the city and their as built was wrong, right? And so a lot of field you know, adjustments uh, are typical. Can you ever go out before you acquire land or even can you do any sort of like digging to make sure that like they say there's a water line here, there's actually a water line here? Uh, that's, that's a good, that's the best practice, right? We, we call it potholing, which is like, yeah. say if, um, you, you know, basically they're taking that, you guys, you seem to know, right? But if say anytime you're developing land, you're probably connected to some mm -hmm. development be a, a road or a county road or something right if there's ever a county road if there's ever a right-of-way there's probably something in it or under it and you know whether it's a, a phone or an electrical line or gas or something and so you know you do your dig test you know and then you identify okay something is bringing a contractor to come in and then they're basically blasting it with high pressure water and vacuuming it up at the same time to kind of gently excavate the hole to, mm -hmm. until you hit the actual facility. Like, okay, here it is. And I didn't have to, I didn't stick a bucket and, and cut it in half and put this community out, uh, put them in the dark for a week, you know, so. I'm, I'm laughing because my first experience in construction was work for my dad and I was the potholer. I had a sharpshooter shovel behind a backhoe and I was potholing to make sure that that guy didn't hit the phone line or the power line or whatever and we broke some stuff <laughs> i guess we lost jack looks like it breaking up a little bit guys i don't know if okay yeah it's coming in and out you hear me now yeah your picture's frozen yeah it just went black for me for a second but that's all good so so jack my question for you now 
You hear me okay? Good. All right. So Jack, what is the, what's the hardest part of, of your job? Would you say? Most difficult. It's really all the soft skill stuff. You know, I have a few guys that, you know, work under me, you know, I like to train and mentor, you know, I've taken those personality tests and it's like, like you're a coach, you know, and sometimes I have the problem of like uh, unwarranted advice. Right. And so, you know, which typically isn't received, but uh, to me, it's, it's really like comes down to like persistence, communication, towing that line between obnoxious and, you know, persistent because, you know, what I tell my team is, any miscommunication, any error or thing, any something that happened that doesn't happen in the field because of miscommunication is your fault, right? We, it's the only way is taking accountability for that, right? If you, if you told some guy this on the phone and he said he was going to do it and he did this, you should have, you know, create an exhibit, send an email, shoot a text message, phone call, document it to the point where there's no possible way they could make a mistake. Because if, if, and you got to give them, you know, what, what, what do you expect from your counterparts, right? Because we're dealing with 30 plus vendors on any given site. For me again, you still hear me? It's freezing up. Can y'all hear me? You're back, I think. Yeah, it's freezing up. It looks good. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me yet? Okay. So, you know, really, I mean, those are, it's like these soft skills that are hard to teach that it's just like, Hey man, like we're setting expectations as well. You know, it's just, it really is comes down to communication. Once you have like the technical knowledge of what needs to be done, that's kind of the minimum. That's the low bar that you have to get over to be competent. And from there, if you want to how clearly, and how regularly are you communicating and setting expectations? You know, like, I don't want to hear, oh, they'll be out there this week. I'm like, well, it's Monday. Is that, do you mean tomorrow or do you mean <laughs> Friday at four? You know, and because to him, he might think Friday at four. And it's just all these little things that anytime you assume, you know, okay, well, oh, yeah, he meant 4 p.m. on a Friday and go, oh, guess what? Oh, he didn't make it. So now it's Monday. And then, a, a, a lost day turns into a week, turns into a month. So the really good project management that I've seen comes from, you know, really just being on the phone and email a lot, making sure that, you know, hey, contractor, hey, sub, this is my expectation. Is it possible, right? And not just barking out orders, but be more in like a, a team environment of saying like, hey, this is what I need to happen. Can it happen? You know, if, if you say no, why can't it happen? And just exploring, it's really kind of more exploratory and seeing, you know, I have objectives and real deadlines. I got to get creative, right? How can I, how can we get there? Um, and that's a lot of, it's, it's something that you can't really teach, right? You could teach about the different types of construction and what that looks like and how it works, but it's, it's all those kind of intangible skills that I've found really set yeah. people apart. So, so on that topic of kind of a, a deadlines and persistence and all that sort of stuff. Do you guys imagine a little bit, maybe not as much as like a, an actual developer will be, or somebody that's actually building the building, but do you guys do a lot of interfaces with utility companies? 
utility companies like like uh like the gas company the electric company those sort of stuff oh yeah well i do want we are real developers right we're just you know we might do it in-house but uh the difference is that you know there might be an internal transfer of the of the site versus selling it to a third party but yeah absolutely and that's that takes the lead time for that seems to be the longest like if i got to deliver something in 14 months I'm talking to that guy today, <laughs> right? Hey, I need your I need your electric design. I need your gas design, because a lot of them typically one informs the other. In my right. experience, the electric design really informs everything else because that's the most essential. So you have to get that done. That could take months, depending on who your counterpart at the utility company is. It could be their slow guy. It could be their fast <laughs> on top of a guy. Um, and then of course they have their own internal requirements and documents you have to fill out and so you get that then you pass it to the you know the fiber guy hey man we want to dig one trench not two right so mm-hmm. here's this design follow it um and of course you have to review it it's never exactly right you got to edit it to avoid conflicts with manholes or driveways or whatever um, existing stuff so it's just an iterative kind of process that takes you know the better part of a year oftentimes so I'll you start say, early oh definitely and you something like that where you have 14 months a year 18 months or whatever mm-hmm. it kind of works but when you're on a smaller project you need to have like, i've seen it happen where you need to, them out there like next week or next month and like it's just impossible yeah actually happen. the reason i'm actually asking is because like it's something i've been dealing with for a long time and actually somebody dm me this week and was like hey man you got any tips for how to get the uh gas company or the electric company i mean to to show up when they're going to show up and i just kind of laughed and i was like i got no tips man because that's something Here's, i struggle with <laughs> the secret is is paying them right so if you got a call if you're putting in new facilities you are building their you are building out the things that they need to generate new revenue it's a new yeah. customer base i got 300 new homes for you right it's expensive to put in but you're going to have a cash flow for eternity right from this community you get a better service obviously if you're calling some guy like, "Hey, you have your existing line in my way," they you, know, you good, go to the- good luck. <laughs> but you know, so that takes longer, and ideally, that's where you're you're finding out you're right. way in advance before you need that done, because it is it is just slow. I think if you're one facility too, and you just need one transformer, right, or need one pull and one transformer, like you're not a priority. Yeah, it's small change. Yeah. So that's, that's where the relationships come in. Like, you know, it's oh, like, hey, do I know who I can talk to within that company that I've worked with for the past five years uh, that picks up the call <laughs> and will do me a solid? And and that's why, you know, time and time in your role and in the market is really, really important for what I do. I, I saw you talking about relationships. I did two projects back to back and it was with the same gas company. We had to have them do something for us, right? And so the first project was a nightmare. Like I couldn't get the guy to return a phone call. It wouldn't show up when he's supposed to show up, all those types of things. Right. And, but we got it done and we finished it out. So I go to the next project and it's the same guy, my same contact. And so I call him and we've already, since we completed one together, it was like old friends, you know, and like he showed up every time he's going to show up and he was there and like, it was day and night difference. But like, since we already did one together, like it was, it was crazy. It really matters. Yeah. I mean, you'd be surprised, but it's, it makes all the difference, you know. And of course, you want a history of treating them nice, right? You don't want to be, be yeah. the guy who calls and every time they talk to you, you're yelling and cussing them. You know, I think that might have be, been the old school way of managing, but it certainly doesn't 
that's not my style and I you know, I don't want to be yelled at at work and I don't want to yell at other people at work. I mean, that could have been it, right? Because I, I wasn't, I mean, even though it was super frustrating, I never called him and yelled at him. So he probably was yeah. like, okay, this guy's not an I'm not going to get chewed out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You might just ask me for a favor. <laughs> so now it went well. Um, so when you first got into land development, you probably had a kind of, you know, perceived notion of what it was about and all this. Was there like, did you have like an aha or a biggest surprise that it was something like you didn't expect it to be about or something to happen? Um, I'll try to answer that. I don't know if I have like a perfect answer, but you know, early on I got lucky and, you know, I really busted it and made a good impression on everyone around me that might make a referral for me. And so when I started my first kind of serious role was at Lennar which at the time was, you know, one of the top few builders in uh, North Texas. So that's a gold mine for me because it's just a super high volume of work immediately as a young project manager. And um, I was basically, you know, thrown in the pool and like sink or swim. And uh, it was a stressful time and it was a great way to learn. And I, mm -hmm. you know, I'm very happy that's how I started. Uh, you know, and I was successful at it, you know, because I spent the extra hours to make darn sure that I wasn't missing things that were important. Um, and, you know, the biggest kind of switch that flipped for me is coming in as a young guy, you know, I was probably, you know, mid to late twenties in that first role. And you're dealing with a lot of people who are, uh, you are their client, right? But you're working with them as if you're on the same team. And so sometimes it maybe took a year and a half or two before I realized that I could call BS, right? I'm not, yes, you're all on the same team, but I'm the client, right? And sometimes there's a line that you draw where, hey, this is your problem. I'd love to help you figure it out, but you got to realize I'm not your coworker here. I'm your client, right? and I need you to fix this, and I'm happy to help you brainstorm fixing it. But sometimes the lines get blurred and, you know, you're friendly, you work with each other for years um, and client, you know, relationships. And so sometimes there might be an expectation that I need to do something when I'm really paying you guys $2 million to do. And so that really helps me. And once I had enough confidence from seeing so many iterations of what I was managing to, you know, to be able to call BS when someone's telling me something that's really not reasonable. Mm-hmm. And also being able to set that, get, get being able to have those uncomfortable conversations when performance isn't up to par and, and you got to sit someone down and be like, look, like, how do we address this? Uh, because a lot of the guys I'm, I'm managing are, you know, have 30 years of experience. I will never know as much as those guys. Cause by the time I get 30 years, he's got 50 years or whatever. <laughs> so, um, and that's one of the fun things as a development professional, you're not, I am not a superintendent per se. I'm not, but I'm overseeing, you know, attorneys, you know, public finance attorneys, contract attorneys, uh, engineers, architects, geotechnical, you know, utility contractors, landscapers, paving contractors. There's so many different specialties. One person could not possibly know all of those, you know, all that expertise yeah. in a lifetime. It's not possible. So you're more of a conductor. Mm -hmm. a coordinator right of of uh, a lot of, of people experts. who are really good at what they do yeah and it's a different you know it's a it's a different kind of skill set it's more of a people 
skill set, but also you got to have the technical knowledge to not uh, get taken advantage of, obviously. And so, yeah, that that was the biggest. You know, I when I'm training guys who are who are more green, and I'm like, you know, the, the sooner you can get to realizing that you are the client, and not the boss, you know, but pretty much right. Like these people are working for the company you represent, yeah. and uh, once you learn enough, like that needs to be the attitude that you take with them. Of course, always polite, friendly, and professional, because I want to enjoy my work day. But um, kind of that switch flipping was was huge for me because it's like, oh, like I'm not, I'm not on their team in that way. It's like I'll do whatever I can mm-hmm. to grease the wheels to get this thing rolling. But um, it helps with this, you know, holding people accountable and, and getting, you know, getting what I need if it, whether it takes an uncomfortable conversation or not. So Jack, you must really enjoy working with like the, the, you know, the, the public office side of things too, then, right. If you're going to, if you're going to be a land developer, because I just think about, so previous engineering firm that I worked with, they did a lot of municipal work. And so I did got involved a little bit of that as well. And one project that I remember was, and I was electrical, I was um, designing their new baseball field fighting system for them. And, you know, working with the vendor, getting all that. And eventually, you know, I had to meet with the city, um, city representatives. I think it was the city ad- administrator that I had to meet with and present it to him, walk him through all the stuff. And he was ultimately the, the decision maker for that project. And so there was a lot of really close collaboration, um, you know, working directly with that municipality. And so, you know, you I imagine you must do a lot of that, too. Is that a part that, that you I mean, you almost kind of would probably have to enjoy it to do what you do. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you bring this up because I'd love to speak to that. You know, there's this kind of rivalry or kind of, uh, I don't know how it started, right? It's like developers and and city staff and officials hating each other. Like we're all stakeholders, right? You know, they're representing their communities. Uh uh, And if they're good, if they really care, which they should, if they've been elected or if they're appointed, right? They are trying to facilitate the best building out of their city that they can. And how how can I be mad at someone for that? Right. And of course, there's bureaucracy that they didn't come up with. Right there. They could be a bureaucrat, but it's this whole complicated system. Right. And I don't like the idea that we're at odds with each other, which it seems to be kind of a very common take. Right. And, you know, I try to be as friendly with them all as I can, you know, part of that is just leveling and seeing what their role in this is, you know, and they're, they're kind of the gatekeeper and the quality control people uh, because they're answering to their constituents who pay taxes to pay for all the, a lot of things that we build for the maintenance of roads and utilities. So um, I do enjoy working with them. Um, yeah. I mean, they're, they're an important stakeholder, right. And uh and that's in a, a totally different challenging part. The, the biggest challenge is that every municipality is not the same, right? And mm-hmm. not only are there different people, but even their internal standard operating procedures are different. The pathways to get to the same goal are different by varying by city. Mm-hmm. And even within a city, they hire some guy from another city and he brings his the idea of how things should run there. And it often happens when you're in the middle of a project, right? And so there's so much change in, uh, and navigating the bureaucracies uh, and that takes a whole different, you know, well, maybe it's not different, right? It's diplomacy, 
being a nice, decent person to deal with and acknowledging the, the role that we each play uh, and not, you know, calling and cursing people. And, you know, I'm always trying to get on the same page, right? And how can we, how can we all win and how can we get you everything that you need uh, from your perspective while allowing me to do what, you know, cause I have, we deal with different constraints. I have very real financial and you know, time deadlines. Um, so uh, I enjoy it. It's another challenging part and it's more kind of, it's more political diplomatic. Mm-hmm. There's like, you know, sales and presentations. I'll go up and um, pitch our proposals for, cause a lot of the times more often than not, I'm having to rezone the land, right? Whether maybe it was commercial and we want, but it's not a good fit anymore because the development that happened around it doesn't support that. And so we need to rezone it for commercial retail to multifamily or, or a planned development, which is a variance of a a current multifamily zoning. So there's just so many, it's just, you know, it's a different part of the complexity of what we do. And it's, it's fun because it's, it's just a different hat. It's not your construction hat. This is my like, okay, my diplomat hat, I got to go into the city and I have to convince them that, you know, what we're building is nice and that they want it. <laughs> right. I mean, and that, you know, cause you know, most of us, I see what gets built is pretty nice and, and probably because of the cities, right. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't get through if it's not going to be nice, you know? So, uh, yeah, you gotta be comfortable speaking in front of people and, um, having people poke holes in what you're doing and having a ready answer for that and being able to adapt and, and be flexible when, you have to make some changes. Yeah. So you're from the Dallas area now, right? You're from Dallas. I'm. I'm in, yeah, I live in Dallas. So you probably deal with like a whole bunch of little cities, I'd imagine, because it's you know when you get into the metroplex like that, and they probably all have their own flavor and make you know, completely different the way they operate. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like if you say you know you're in Dallas, you, you're really not you're not developing in Dallas. Like it's it's mostly built out. There might be a few small infill parcels or. Yeah. I don't even call it development, right? But somebody who's tearing down a house and building a bigger, more expensive house, like <laughs> that, of course, there's a lot of brain damage that goes into that, but just the scale and complexity is, is quite different. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm working in every city, but Dallas, you know, yeah. um, because it's those suburban growing markets where that, I mean, we're growing the markets, right? We're, we're out there and trying to build houses that people can afford, you know, that have good school districts and, you know, close to work, you know, have fun things to do. Uh, the live, work, play kind of trifecta that you hear about. Right. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we're, it, you know, and that'll, that would go for any, I imagine land development in any market is going to be mostly expansive and suburban, you know, unless you're mm-hmm. infill, right? Like now I'm doing multifamily. We'll, we'll do more infill pieces that have sat vacant for some reason or other maybe because they needed enough rooftops to justify taking that next next step in density Mm -hmm. um which you know i i think is a lot of fun and in the real estate world you know the more infill and urban it is like the sexier it is you know know (laughs) uh, it's a little a little more exciting but of course there's more challenges with traffic control and there's people living next door you know who wants to get woken up at 3 a.m by you know, some hammer breaking up rock or 
pouring pavement, right? So yeah, it's different. Those three AM concrete pours in residential areas are always fun. And we lost them again. Losing y'all a little again, but it's a, it's on purpose. We good? <laughs> Everyone's just freezing, faking a freeze just to mess yeah. me up. Yep. <laughs> no, no, no. Only I get to leave. Can y'all hear Everybody me? Or else? Now? Yeah. <laughs> Well, because of that, before Kyle leaves, because I don't know when he's ever going to bounce off, we're going to play his favorite meme game. Yeah, all right. It's time. So I think, Jack, you've seen a couple of these. And actually, if you go back and watch the video, I have been finding a meme while we were talking because. Anyway, here we go. So for those that don't know, Kyle has to see a meme, and, it, and he has to describe it for those people that are listening to the audio podcast and not watching the YouTube video. So take it away, Kyle. You know, I just got to say a quick sidebar here. Two things. <laughs> two things. First of all, we need, a, we, need a, we need a cool intro. And then second of all, I need an even more cooler, badass little intro <laughs> for this section. Just, just going to throw that out there. And, and if anybody listening wants to help out with that, hit us up. All right. So here we go. Here's, here's, here's today's meme. So we've got a, uh, there is a man who is wearing construction PPE with a clipboard standing in front of some steel erection taking place in the background. Hard to say, it looks to be a commercial job of some type. It could be a school or something maybe, right? Um, but he's standing there, he's got his clipboard. He looks awfully happy and he's giving you the thumbs up. He's saying, great job. And then the headline reads, construction management, engineers who can't do math. <laughs> I can do math. <laughs> I I have a civil engineering degree, and I'm a construction manager because I didn't want to do no more math. <laughs> so, hey, hey, I did engineering, and I didn't want to do math either. So, don't you take that away. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I think I've said it on here before, but like when I did construction man, like construction management specialization, I did a business minor, and I did an accounting class. And the first account, it's just plus and minus. Like after you're doing all these like uh, differential equations and calculus three and all this stuff, like it's just plus and minus. And like, if we get our first exam back and I got like a 98, it's like, that was stupid easy. And I'm looking around, everyone's got like fifties and sixties around me. Cause it was like, you know, it was accounting for non business majors. Yeah. And so there was probably like history majors and whatever liberal arts majors and like real people who can't do math, but anyway it's the easier of the maths right it might even just be arithmetic yeah it's not it's definitely not cal calculus yeah oh. so anyway we interrupt this conversation for that um i just i didn't know if jack was gonna have to get unfrozen or not so <laughs> you spice it in there edit it somehow <laughs> I'm just going to, Kyle's going to leave on my account. Um, so for anybody who's like, thinks that land development would be cool to get into, because you know, we, we really kind of do this to kind of give back to the next generation of people kind of coming into the industry and that sort of stuff. Like, what are some tips or advice for somebody who's like, man, I want to do that. I want to get it, go down that path. Like, how can they get involved? How can they get started? Do they have to have a master's? You don't. 
And, you know, so there's a few pathways that I've seen historically, right, that people get into this role. Uh, either your dad was a developer and you're a developer and you start with a lot of money. That's a great way. That's not how I started, <laughs> right? But, uh, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, that's probably the best. But, you know, you also see civil engineers who end up being on the kind of the site development, landing development niche within civil. Mm -hmm. And then... And I'm talking about land, right? I have a buddy who he's a, you know, a civil guy, but he got a master's in structural and he's a, like a development manager for the tallest high rise in Brooklyn right now, right? So wow. that's that's real estate development, different, quite different, obviously. But, you know, so typically your civil guys, maybe they're serving clients like me, um, designing plans, uh, helping with entitlements and navigating that bureaucracy. And then they get kind of hired by a client or they want to take that leap and go to that side. Uh, that's a very typical path. Another um, is that you might have like at a home builder, there'll be a superintendent who's really stellar and he's, you know, done a great job or she or he for quite a while and somebody from the land department leaves and they bring in that person. Right. Uh, the problem with that path is that there's quite, you know, exponentially more superintendents in any given company than there is land people. It's 20 people vying for one job, right? That Your odds are not super great, that path. Is it a path? Absolutely. Then you have uh, some people get in. Um, I've seen it's not super rare to see someone who's been like a landman for oil and gas who comes into the acquisition person because it's similar type of work, right? You're dealing with landowners, you're negotiating easements or rights for over land. Uh, that's a pathway kind of to come in from the acquisition side. Uh, I've also seen maybe an attorney who might have been, uh, been going to get serving clients, decided to do the more fun job and go to the, the uh, or you can do you know, architects, obviously, for multifamily and stuff, a lot of the development management people for you know multifamily which is less intensive on the underground part and more complicated on the vertical part mm -hmm. like it was for civil guys that would be architects on that side it's more typical is i uh, got a master's degree and developer uh, and so that program has had a turn me and uh, I give back as much can y'all still hear me you're back you're back now welcome back all right from the top let's go I'm back welcome what, to what, did, what did you last hear welcome back to see a mentors podcast my name is Matt Graves and <laughs> <laughs> And we just lost all the listeners. Where, where did I? Where did I leave you guys? Uh, Somewhere around talking commercial and developments, land, devel <laughs> <laughs> land, land development. I think. Oh man, what a shit show! These are fun. Yeah. Um, we're, we lost. What is the last thing last I said sponsor. about the pathway? Uh, I think about attorneys. I heard you were talking about attorneys when I kind of okay. lost you. Yeah. So some people, you know, go from a civil engineer 
to development. Some people go from super, like a construction manager to development. Some people go from attorneys to development. Uh, I opted because of my path at the time, you know, I, I went and got a master's degree, which teaches exactly what I do in my day to day uh, and a year and a half program uh, that got me in the door. And so uh, that is a new way that program has been around for 40 years coming up this year or next. Um, and, uh, you know, the enrollment's going up quite a bit. Texas is a great place to be a developer because, you know, hundreds of thousands of people from the rest of the U.S. are moving here every year. So it's a good place uh, for this career. And Don't uh, get any ideas, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> I would say the best way to get in is to is to go to the same master's degree program as me. You know, uh, it's more certain, I would say, because it kind of shows that you've committed to that career decision. Um, it's not vague at all. Like you're getting a degree to learn dropped again. But um, so those are the typical pathways. Okay. So I was going to ask this a minute ago when we were talking about kind of the unforeseen you see, in, you know, contingencies and that sort of stuff. What's the kind of craziest thing that y'all found or the craziest unknown y'all found, or at least maybe if, if you don't have a crazy story, have you heard a crazy story of something they found when they started digging? Like any Indian burial grounds or anything like that? Oh, that would, you're, you would be done. Yeah. You just shut down. I, I mean, I've heard of like things, you know, archaeologically significant stuff. If that's found, your project is done. Right. Ideally, you would find it before you buy it. I haven't encountered anything like that up here. Um, I haven't even really heard about it. You know, we don't find anything too crazy. You might find an old septic tank that they didn't know was there and you have to Ooh. abandon it. Uh, or, you know, dig it up and haul it off. I saw Joe Dirt. It's exciting. I wouldn't say anything crazy. <laughs> Joe Dirt. <laughs> I bet a Joe Dirt reference wasn't on your bingo card for this. <laughs> Good movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, nothing too crazy. Well, that's Knock gonna, on wood. That's kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> Boring is good in this case, yeah, for me. Yeah. We were doing a project in downtown Austin, and we were digging, and we found, I guess, you know, downtown Austin has lived, you know, many lives, you know, different. It was a music uh, music venue was their uh, music hall, and we knocked that down. And before that was a, like, some sort of uh, general store with, like, a grain mill on the back. So I think what they did, we ended up finding um, basically big metal like silos, I guess. I think when they built the music thing, they just like knocked those down, cover them up with dirt and just built it on top of it. So we started digging and we're like, what is this? And it just kept going and kept going and kept going. And it was like 12 foot diameter and we had to get it out. Anyway, it was kind of like one of those things. If we, if we find stuff, we typically remove it. We don't just cover it up, you know, sweep it under the rug. So well, you know, it's just an unforeseen expense, but it's never too crazy. You might spend 10 or 15 grand to Haul it off. You know? you know how they do this stuff back in the 50s and 60s. They just buried it and kept going. <laughs> like, yeah. And so we had to dig it out and remove it. It was, it was one of those things. But, um, and I was kind of mad because it was, it was crazy. It was tangent here, but like we were digging with the, uh, the excavator and it picked it up and there was a pile of dirt on it and like an old glass bottle, like really cool old glass bottle that was probably from like 100 years old. And I was like, sweet. I went and grabbed it and I set it behind the silt fence and kind of hit it because I had to get to a meeting. And so I came back later that afternoon and it was shattered into like a hundred pieces. And I was just like, I, 
What? How? Lesson yeah. learned. I should have took it with me. It was a whiskey bottle or something. <laughs> but it was anyway really cool. Yeah. Yours is more interesting than mine. It wasn't that interesting. <laughs> You're doing a lot of digging. I the last was model. Cool. Last model. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's cool. So, I mean, we're kind of getting close to an hour here. Is there anything else land development wise or anything you should like the kind of next generation kind of come up into this industry should know? Um, it seems like there's a lot of parallels between sort of that sector and it's like general construction too. And kind of like, you know, me and Kyle are owners reps. So a lot of the stuff you're saying, and I think me and Kyle been like head bobbing along with you. Like, yep, 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 yep. The same, you know, you're building a different product of sorts, right? But it's like the process is almost damn near the same. It feels like. Right. Yeah, I guess. And I really admire what you guys are doing with this podcast. You know, I don't know how that, to respond to that. I didn't. Must that have was said Siri or something. Rude. I said, I said Siri <laughs> off. <laughs> Everyone's but, chiming in this episode. <laughs> one way to get a live audience. Now. <laughs> I've just seen, you know, obviously there's a huge kind of deficit and people entering the construction industry, right, in general. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why that is. You know, it's like, it seems like a joke to me. I don't know why the idea of sitting behind a computer typing in code is sexier building a building that someone's going to occupy, right? I don't know why. what's more appealing about that, right? I think it's a lot of it comes dirty. down to the, well, the perception of, of money, right? Like, is yeah. it, you know, people think, okay, I'm in tech. Well, everything has a website. Everything is tech, right? right. But in construction, what I found, you know, you know, when I was in high school, I worked for 10 bucks an hour, you know, 68 hours a week all summer doing flooring, right? And mm -hmm. yeah, maybe I don't want to do that forever. That was my kind of foray into construction. Right. Um, and as I grew, you know, it's, it's an industry where you're confronted with very dynamic work where there's you're constantly facing something new. There's problem solving multiple times every day, right? It's just very interesting, right? And the longer you do it, the better you get at it and the more you know. So for anyone who likes to grow and get good at something, which is really more, you know, people speak about passion. I found that when you get good at something, you'll be passionate about it, right? It's it's that feeling of expertise that, that you can be proud of and, um, and, and, and this kind of career has given that to me, right? So I, I like being challenged and yeah. I also like dealing with people. I don't want to just stare at a computer. So I love getting to talk to dozens of people every day and get to know each other. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're dealing with hundreds of people, laborers and clients and consultants and contractors coming together to build something where people are going to live, have a family, you know, I mean, it, I think it's incredible. It's obviously important. We're all in a building right now. We're about to go out and drive on a street to our the other building that we go into. Right. Uh, so, you know, I would love to encourage more people and say, like, you can you can think you're really smart and um, and still be and go into construction. Right. You don't have to go into tech or you don't have to go into. You know, and I don't want to like crap on sales. Right. That's a different pathway. But you can I don't know what the misconception of construction is. Uh, it's incredibly challenging and rewarding to me. And it, it draws on different skills. Maybe, you know, as a manager, it's a lot, you know, you're, you're needing some insight into how people work, psychology and, you know, communication mm -hmm. and uh, 
but I, I love that aspect of it, the interpersonal aspect. And so I just want to encourage more young people considering like, where do you want to work and make a living just to explore, you know, land development and construction as a whole, because it is very rewarding and it's not, I don't know what people think it is, right. But it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to always be dirty and everyone's not crotchety and grumpy. And it's not just a bunch of, you know, 70 year old salty guys, right. It's a dynamic industry that is diverse and engaging. And so I think that's a message that I can get behind. I agree. And, and there is a, if you are interested in the technology, there's a lot of cool technology that's coming into the construction industry too. So you can definitely exactly. find that here. And if you work in construction, you can probably come up with a solution, a tech solution, right? But if you, if you're starting a tech, it's hard to solve a problem about an industry you know nothing about. right? So there's opportunities in that world right too, but you'd have to know enough uh -huh. about the problem to solve it. I, I, I can get on a soapbox about people solving coming in trying to think gonna, yeah from the outside trying to build some sort of technology solution that no one's ever going to buy and so i've seen a few of those but anyway it happens well i appreciate you coming on jack yeah no thanks for having me yeah i learned a thing a thing or two today hopefully yeah. spread spread the word about construction thank you yeah. oh man great talking to you yeah See you yeah, likewise thanks guys Bye.